Dang, I thought it was going to start over. What's up, man? What it do, man? Slow motion, man. Hey, hump night, buddy. It's hump night. Yes, sir. They can take it how they want. (laughs) (laughs) But we more than halfway there, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, man. We halfway through October, man. It's almost the end of the year. Yeah, man. Look, we we almost got a frost around here. It's so cold in the morning time. I can't wait to. I'm sick of these snakes crawling. Yeah, I'm ready to put my long johns on. Them long draws. Yes, sir. <laughs> long draw, long john, you know. Hey, when, I, when I start smelling uh fireplace wood in there, I know what time it is. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. I, I went out, I saw my neighbor pouring hot water on his window. I was like, oh man, come on now. It, it was cold. <laughs> I guess you don't know how to use this defrost button, I guess. <laughs> oh, it don't work. Man, I swear, I know with no ice out there. Golly. Yeah, it's about six thirty. By six thirty this morning, he out there pouring hot water on his windshield. I'm like, you about yeah. to mess up, buddy. Yeah, hey, that's what that that defrost don't work. He go, he gonna crack that whole windshield. He keep on. <laughs> but yeah, man, look, we back for another night. Uh, episode thirty eight to be young, gifted, and black, featuring uh, Crystal Denise. Um, here to to talk about some very educational and uh, important uh, topics. So. Uh, yeah. I think Mac might may or may not be joining us a little bit later on, but uh, nevertheless, man, you ready to get it? You ready to get it kicked off? Ready to roll, man. So listen, uh, tonight we're thrilled to welcome uh, Crystal Denise to Sticks and Stones. Uh, Miss Crystal describes herself as an educator, motivator, and a liberator. She joins us to discuss her efforts in enriching the lives of Black children through literature and community engagement. So uh, let's welcome uh, Miss Crystal Denise. To the show. Hey, 
How you doing? Hey, greetings, Uggy. I'm good. How are y'all doing? We're good. Good, good. Pretty y'all good. cold? Y'all cold, huh? No, I, I'm not cold, but I mean, you know. Okay. It's getting harder to get out of bed in the morning, though. I know that. Oh, yeah. 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 Look, I, I got me some ice water right here, but uh, this is my type of weather here. Uh-uh. It's my, my type of weather. I don't like I don't like <laughs> sweating and stuff, so, this, you know, fall my favorite time of okay. year. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. look. Um, we're gonna jump, you know, right into it. We want to be, you know, respectful of your time. And uh so uh but you, you sent us some notes and I was going uh through those notes uh that you shared and I saw where you were from uh Montrose, Arkansas. And uh I think I can speak for myself, Eric. I mean E and uh Mac when I say I thought we grew up in a small town uh in Coldwater. <laughs> Uh, but you uh, you take the crown. Uh, I saw that in 2021, Montrose has a population of 245 citizens. So I wanted to ask, what was growing up there uh, like, and then how does it compare uh, to Coldwater? Okay, so because I uh, I always had to explain Montrose to people, is and, and I'm like, okay, do you know what Greenville, Mississippi is? Okay, if you're on Highway 82 in Greenville, Mississippi, you keep going west and you're going to bump into Montrose, Arkansas. So it's like 35 minutes from Greenville. And we did a lot of shopping in Greenville. But to answer your question specifically, my parents, both of my parents were from that part of the state, Montrose. My father was born in Montrose. My mother was born in another town about 15 minutes from there, Crossett, Arkansas. And so, um, as their older sisters did, they were part of the Great Migration, um, and they moved to Milwaukee. So I was actually born in Milwaukee, and uh, when I was about 10 years old, my dad was like, uh-uh, I can't do any more winters here. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm out. I'm going back south. Going back so we moved back to Arkansas. <laughs> yes, he went back home, and I'm thankful. Now that I'm older, I'm so thankful that he did that because when we were there, it was about 600 people. So the population is steadily decreasing, and that is sad to me, and I can speak on that later, but um, when we were there, my my maternal grandmother and my maternal grandparents still lived there as well, and they had a small business in town. My grandfather started out with a grocery store in town, and then it's trying to transform to like North End Cafe, where my grandmother would cook on the weekends. They had the pool tables, the pinball machines, and all that. So I grew up that in that uh, type of atmosphere because then my mother took control of the store, and my father was a barber. So he had this, this barbershop on one side, and she had a store on the other side, and it connected to my grandparents' home. So I'm thankful now <laughs> that I grew up in that village community type atmosphere and then you know when I started thinking about it I said it was actually a safe space because we had elders uh that they looked out for us everybody looked out for one another um you could leave your door unlocked you know you could I mean I'm sure cold water was kind of the same way you could leave your doors unlocked uh you know if somebody was getting into it you had adults the elders and the grown folks that broke it up you know, uh, you couldn't steal from nobody. I remember uh, 
when my mom had a store, three young men came and they stole, they broke in a store and they stole ice cream and things of that nature. And they took it to one of the uh, young men's homes and his mother was like, uh, you got that from Pluto. And she called my mom and she told <laughs> him that they had broken in the store and everything. So, you know, nowadays you can take, your children can, children can steal from you and take home a bike and everything else and the parents don't even <laughs> question where they got this from. So anyway, that's a little story about Montrose. And now when you when you read the population was 200 or something, that kind of like, ah, you know, I knew it had dwindled, but I didn't know it was that far down. But yeah, it was great. A great experience though. Um, um, you know, I still keep in touch with friends I grew up with. And then my dad, <clears throat> my parents had transitioned, but my dad's oldest brother still lives there. He's 97. And he still is there. Uh, so I go over and visit family uh, as much as I can. Well, everybody's family when you grow up in a town like that. But yeah. I my it was great. That's a great question. Thank you for asking. Because many people oh, don't yeah. actually look <laughs> and ask that question. So thank you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Um, mm -hmm. it's definitely a small town. Definitely had a village. So to your point, you know, um, families aren't like they used to be. Families don't stick together, even right. if you're not family, that people don't stick together like they used to. But um, being from Arkansas, I saw that you studied at Arkansas. You also studied in Oklahoma. And then um, now you are, I think, I know you work in Tate County. You do your works in Tate County. Are you a resident of Tate County? Okay, so what, I what, am what led? A resident of Tate County. Okay, so what led Go you ahead, to Tate bro. County? Um, so I was living in Oklahoma City. Um, and that's a whole story in itself. But uh I, I'm thankful for that journey because I actually I, I got my master's in library science from OU. And um and so I'm thankful for that because it opened up doors for me because I wasn't stuck in that one position I had at the I was at Ralph Ellison Library and then I uh transferred to another department within the library system. But Ralph Ellison Library is uh, named for Ralph Ellison, who wrote Invisible Man in Juneteenth. He was from Oklahoma City. It's in the Black neighborhood. And so that experience was really life-changing for me and um, because <clears throat> that's where I learned about our experience. That's where I learned about Black Wall Street. You know, that's where I learned a lot because in that library, uh, the Black Heritage Collection was housed. And so everything black was in this collection. And so I was exposed to authors that I had never heard of uh, before. And I didn't, cause I didn't know black people wrote Westerns. <laughs> I didn't know black people wrote sci-fi and things of that nature. So it really opened up some doors. So anyway, um, went through some things in my personal life and I decided that I wanted to move back closer to home, but I really didn't want to live in Arkansas. And so, I started looking for a job and found, got the job at the community college. And so here I am. And it was a great move because I was three hours from my parents. So as their health started feeling, I could, you know, drive over and, and check on them. And then, um, you know, my children were growing up. My youngest daughter was three when we moved here. So she had the experience of going through the child development program on campus where I was working. And so it just provided me a better opportunity 
uh, you know, professional wise and as a parent personally as well, uh, because uh-huh. I got a chance to just be home because it felt like home. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you mentioned the community college, you, you know, you're speaking about uh, Northwest uh, Community College. Um, but I know last week we had uh, Fallon and WC on uh, to talk about Spencer Farms and the Fall Festival. Um, and I actually made it down late Saturday and I think I saw you packing up. So uh, can you speak a little bit about, you know, what you do outside of, you know, your day job at Northwest where you were at the Fall Festival um, as a vendor? Yeah, so, but, you know, everything kind of precipitated on uh, uh, my, the, where, I, where I started. And so uh, I was out at, at the farm. Farm, Spencer Farms, and I'm thankful because I actually had tuned in to you guys that that Wednesday, and I saw I had seen it, but I, it didn't really register with me. So afterwards, I was like, "Man, I need to be set up at the festival uh, with the books and and just speak on some of the programs that we offer here." I'm at the Culture Center in Coldwater on Central Avenue. We're on the main, the square, and we are the building with the red doors. I tell everybody that all the time. You can't miss us because we're the only building on the square with red doors. So I'm at the center now. And so I wanted to, uh, I want to network. I want to get to know people. You know, uh, when I moved to Tate County, I knew the person who hired me. That was it. And so uh, I called the people that I have come to love my divine family because it's divine synchronicity that I'm here and doing what I'm doing. So the people that I love and, and call family are my divine family. And so I want to grow that family uh, because it's going to take a family. It's going to take the community. It's going to take the village for us to get where we need to be um, collectively. And so uh, I was there selling the books. And that's one thing that we're doing. We had the book uh, shop, the soul shop here at the Culture Center. And just want to expose our babies to who we are at a young age. And I don't want to, uh, you know, break the bank doing it. You can be set reasonable prices uh, doing this. And so, you know, I'm not trying to exploit anybody. I just want us to... uh, uh, grow. And I know that literacy is a big part of it. Brother Kill talked about math literacy and he and I talk a lot. Uh, reading and math go hand in hand. If you look at the test scores of the schools in the area, the the reading and math scores are, are not good. And it's really interesting because they start off uh, average and then they decline. The older they get, the lower the test scores get. And so, you know, uh, Akil and I talk a lot about how we <clears throat> how we can work together to solve that problem. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, before we jump deeper into your works, um, we, we've gotten the first 15 minutes, we've gotten the icebreaker stage out of the way. So we, uh, we first of all, thank you for being a supporter because mm-hmm. we know you're in, in the comments uh, on several of our shows. Um, and... Uh, as we always say, you know, we, we got a schedule and we try to get people on us as quickly as we can. So um, now's your time. So we're going to talk about the programs that you work with um, that fall under the uh, Black Liberation Movement. But right before we do that, um, 
know you mentioned that you're a librarian. Mm -hmm. um, you got your master's um, in that. And then I saw a note that said that you are a frontline librarian, 365, 24-7. What, what does that mean? Okay, so uh, I, I was honored because uh, Baba Imawala Milbaruti from Atlanta, he gave me that title. You know, uh, it's, it's, there's a quote that I love to share by uh, Walter Payton, the Mississippian, Walter Payton, yeah, I don't know. Uh, he said, when you're good at something, you tell people. When you're great at something, they'll tell you, right? And so, uh, Baba Baruti, uh, notice the work that I do, and he's one of my great, uh, I like to call him Jagna's teachers, role models, he and his wife, Mama Yah. And so, he said, you the frontline librarian. You are out there putting in the work for our people uh, unapologetically. And so that's what uh, I take it as. And I wear it with a badge of honor because uh, Elder gave me that title. And so uh, I just want to let people know that, you know, I take, a, take some heat for being out there in the front telling people who we are, what we need to be doing, what we need to be reading, pushing black literature uh it takes it takes uh some thick skin to do the work out here in the front for real uh and i think that's why a lot of people drop out of it because it's a grind to it it's a grind to it for sure yeah yeah so if if you could um i guess just kind of detail your background um with how you came uh I guess into association with the Black Liberation Movement. I know you say you, you know, uh, had that awareness at, when you were in Oklahoma, but just kind of shed some more light uh, on that. Sure, sure. So you know, I like to tell people that you know the seeds were planted when I in Montrose. You know, being around my grandparents and my father. My father was uh, an entrepreneur. He was a businessman. No one quote owned him. He was his own person because. He had a lot of property as well, uh, and he just made his own living. And so seeing how he interacted with people, how people uh, respected him because he was his own man, I think those were the seeds that were planted. And then as I progressed in life, I got watered. You know, Ralph Ellison experience was watering. And then came to Tate County, got on Facebook, and I saw this brother, Patrick Alexander. I was like, okay, I like what he's saying. So once that connection was made, you know he's going to challenge you in what you're doing. So, you know, I'm up there in Northwest, you know, I'm I'm buying black books because when I got there, the collection was not, it wasn't none of us in there. So, and, and you know, the, the student body is us. We in there, our children in there. And so I was like, okay, we need some books by for and about black folks up in this library. Um, when I was teaching the classes, I was teaching, helping teach reading development. And I noticed that our children don't read because they weren't interested in anything we had on the shelves. So started ordering books for the collection and um, noticed that our children started coming in, looking for me for recommendations for books. And so uh, I was like, you know what? I gotta do something else. This is this is not enough. And then Brother Patrick told me I wasn't doing enough. You know, you handing out black books, but you got, that ain't, you know, they in college. They need to be thinking uh, black before they even get to uh, college. So 
um, started really thinking about, okay, what is it that that I, I really want to do? And I told you earlier that, you know, I always wanted to open a bookstore. And then I was like, well, shit, if I open a bookstore, who going to read? Ain't nobody really reading. So uh, I was like, okay, let me figure this out. And so uh, talked with Ms. Joyce Richardson, Joan Richardson over in Sledge. She helped me figure out a nonprofit might be something that I would want to do. And so that's how Oasis Literacy Center came about. And so if you go on there, you know, our mission is to uh, teach literacy and, and reach our community. So literacy, my definition is the ability to read, write, and think critically. And so there are ways that you can do that. But for us, it's really promoting books by, for, and about us. And so I'm at the center. We have a library over to my right. And those are books that I've chosen personally for our collection. So we have a section on natural hair care for our children. So they can go up there and pull out a book that says, I love my Afro. And uh, then they can pull out a book that says, I love my hair and things of that nature. We have uh, what I call the HBCU collection. So they can go over there and pull out a book about HBCUs. They can watch a video about HBCU, things of that nature. Because what I found working with the college students was that their interest in reading has been suppressed by what they've had to read in school. And so I thought back to my schooling, and fortunately I had this great 11th grade English teacher named Ms. Geraldine Smith, who taught my mother and my aunts who's still living so when you go to lake village arkansas you might run into her at the library but anyway she had us read and she had us think about what we were reading and so i was like oh okay you know i gotta i gotta do something like that so that's what we do um and so that's how aces was spawned and i tell people all the time that's the organization then in 2021 we launched I share Academy, which is the institution that has the slow, curriculum. Slow, slow, slow down. Slow down. <laughs> yeah, slow, slow down. I know. I know. I get so excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, hey, we're we going to get into uh, I share in just a second. Uh, but you mentioned, um, actually, one of my questions was, how did Oasis come about? You already answered that. So, um, I'll go ahead with the follow-up question. So, you guys started Oasis in September 2013. So you just had your 10 year anniversary on the 5th of right. September, right? right? And you started out in Senatobia, uh, working, doing works in the uh, Senatobia Housing Authority. And then you guys transitioned right. to Coldwater, uh, to the, uh, which is now the uh, Restoration New Direction Cultural Center. So how did that move from Senatobia to Coldwater? How did that happen or what led to that? So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people don't understand the journey because it was definitely a journey. So when we started Oasis, I mean, you could tell us that we wouldn't have this great support. We just knew that this was the thing that was needed, that people was going to be behind, going to support all that. And y'all know, you know, no, it didn't happen that way. So then we started looking for places. We, we didn't have a place. We didn't have a space. So we started looking for places where we could uh, implement some programs. What can we do in the community? And so the Senatobia Housing Authority, uh, at that time, Mr. Brunt wasn't there. It was a, the uh, elder that was there before Mr. Brunt. 
I can't remember her name, but I had a conversation with her about what we were doing and what we wanted to do. And she welcomed us, welcomed us into the community center. So in the meantime, she left and Mr. John Brunt came and he was very welcome and very uh, he supportive of what we were doing. So we had programming at the community center. We were doing after school tutoring and we were doing programs in the summer and during school breaks. And we were using that space uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then um, during the summer, we would do programs. And one one night I was like, we got to have a name for this after school what we're doing at school. We just can't say, you know, we're doing an after school program. I wanted it to have a name. And um, so one morning I woke up, Ashe. So if you're familiar with Ashe, you know, Ashe is the African word for so be it. It's kind of like a man, but it's a Yoruba word, be it. And our Ashe is going to be at the school education. And so we were there for a number of years. I don't even know, five, maybe five years. We were working in the community center. Um, and then uh, we met, well, I met uh, Zelma Johnson, who was in this space. At that time, it was a church. It was New Direction Baptist Church, Missionary Baptist Church. And she started listening to Dr. Boyce Watkins and Dr. Claude Anderson and her thinking shifted. And so we transformed this place into the culture center. So uh, she had some personal things that she was dealing with. So she turned it over the space over to me and Brother Patrick. And so we've been kind of evolving the space and changing up some things and switching up and adding some programs and taking from some programs. And so uh, that's how everything came came here uh, but is the challenge is still the same i think i think it was a little easier when we were in Senatobia at the housing authority because the children were right there so if they saw my car parked at the community center or someone they would just come over because they could walk over so the challenge in cold water has been getting people to bring you know to come to the space come to the building but uh the children over in Senatobia they're they're almost grown you know i see them often and uh and i'm always like man y'all have grown up on me deshaun who was out djing with uh brother mark saturday he actually was one of our first uh students over there when we started so uh yeah it's, it's been a journey um it's been a challenge but it's been a great learning experience for all of us involved yeah Look, before I turn it over to Jake, um, I had another piece of that question, but I, I canceled it out. But I just wanted to add to that. Uh, I know you said it's the most challenging and the most rewarding, and you just touched on that. Um, but you guys just had your 10-year anniversary. And one thing that I that I saw you ask starting about three years ago is that for every year, you're asking for donations for that year. So, like, this is the 10 years so you guys are asking for, like, $10 donations to help keep everything afloat. So I'm going to drop your cash app tag in the comments for the viewers and anybody who sees this after the fact so they can kind of support the movement. Okay. Yeah. Appreciate it. Appreciate no. <clears throat> yeah, my next question was just going to be kind of more in depth on, you know, the definition uh, of literacy. And um, just thinking about the ways that um, 
I guess, in what ways can fostering critical thinking skills specifically tailored to the experiences of black children empower them to navigate and challenge societal narratives and systems? Did you catch all that? <laughs> no, uh-uh. <laughs> can you repeat it? I, I caught most of it, but I want to. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying, like, just, I guess, in what ways do you feel like critical thinking uh, can help empower, you know, our Black children and help them to be able to, you know, operate out in society? Yes. So, so that that's a great question because I think a lot of us don't even realize that we aren't thinking that we are acting on emotion or we're acting on an idea that someone else has given us that we aren't really thinking things through because I find myself sometimes doing that. And so, uh, especially, you know, the younger children, the younger generation and young adults, I had three young adults. And so I watched them make decisions sometimes. And I'm like, are you really thinking this through? Are you really thinking all the way through? Or is it just something that is going to satisfy you right now? Because I think, um, we've been conditioned to want everything right now, that instant gratification that everybody wants. Uh, and, and so much money is being made off of instant gratification. You know, if you look at the health and wellness industry, if you look at just even education, because everyone wants to YouTube now and learn uh, and take information in an hour lecture as a to reading a book or studying a concept or things of that nature. And so I've even seen it, you know, in the education field now where you used to have to go to truck driving school, used to be longer than nine months, right? Now you can go get your CDL in nine months, I think, and stuff like that. So are we really thinking about the, the long-term impact that our decisions we make right now based on emotion and feeling and just want it right at this very instant. Um, and do we think about who's benefiting from some of these decisions that we make? You know, if I uh, buy this or if I, I want this car, like I always go back to Brother Kia because he makes things make sense to me in that aspect too. You know, if I, I, I want a car and I don't care, I don't even think about the interest rate uh or the term or anything like that i just know that i can get this card i can pay 200 dollars a month not knowing that i'm gonna be paying 200 dollars a month for 10 years or things of that nature so just uh making these quick rash decisions without thinking really thinking everything through or uh our coping skills you know all these things are tied together uh if something happens i don't Feel like doing it i don't know how to figure this out so i'm not gonna do it or just you know go over here and cry or you know things of that nature so uh that question is a good question because um yeah yeah i think when you when you read it uh makes you think because right now uh with one a group of children we're, we're reading this book and thinking about the characters and thinking about the settings uh having i've been having them draw pictures having them use their creativity and their imagination to think about what does the, what do you think this person looks like 
what do you think that town, the people, how do you think it was shaped? How do you think the people live together? So uh, just really using your brain, using your um, imagination and creativity yeah. to, to think things through. I know I kind of went around and around, but uh, is that when you when you know uh, and you and you want people to uh, know, it's kind of it's kind of hard to answer. I'm I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. I apologize for just kind of going no, no, around you, and around you, on that one. Good. And um, I want I want to pause right there. Uh, Mac has joined us. So Mac, welcome to uh, welcome to episode thirty eight. And uh, yeah. pardon my tardiness. Uh, I apologize. No, you're good, man. But uh. I wanted to piggyback on what you were saying and kind of give some context on, on that question. I don't know if Eric and Matt had this same experience, uh, but I remember like being in school and we would get worksheets or homework and math homework specifically. And you would have the critical thinking questions at the bottom and your teacher might say, well, you can just skip those. You don't, you know, you don't have to do those. And I mean, at that time you felt like, okay, cool. I ain't got to do all of that but now looking back and i'm like why were they really telling us you know to skip the critical thinking you know uh questions and so you know i was one of them that they at least tried to attempt to uh to to do it even if i you know couldn't figure it out but i just i just wonder if that's still going on uh in the schools today yes that's a good point too jordan and um i think i think akil kind of touched on that when, uh, and I can tell on. you, it is. Go, go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. No, I was just gonna say I can I can attest that yes, it is still going on, and I think uh, it's actually getting worse uh, because I think uh, a lot of the students that we get have memorized a lot, and so when you work with them, and especially if they're trying to do research. Uh, I see it a lot when it's when it's, it's a research question, and they're trying to uh, find information to support whatever it is. First of all, they they have a hard time thinking about a topic, so let instructors give them topics because they uh, have a hard hard time. It's either way too broad or it's way too specific on research. We're so used to Google that uh, you know they just type in the question of what they're looking for, and and a lot of times uh, I I try to teach information literacy because all information is not reliable information, and so you want to be uh, able to choose the right type of sources that you're using, and so uh, yeah, so that part, uh, how do you ask a question? A lot of the students don't know how to ask a question. You know, they don't even know what it is that they want. They know they want some information, but they don't know how to question it. And so, yeah, I th and, and, and just looking at some of the homework that my granddaughter is bringing home and some of the other uh, work that I've had to help my own children with, it's like, okay, <laughs> so, you know, uh, how do you teach them how to go through the steps and it frustrates the the uh instructors and the professors in higher education because 
these students aren't coming in prepared to do the coursework. Um, and so, you know, I, I I agree with Akil a lot of what he was saying about, you know, but that follows on us too, because as parents and as a community, we should be teaching them these things, you know, using our home life, using our personal life as teacher methods, as instructional points when they go to school, they can actually practice, you know, and I love to use my granddaughter as that example because she was so adamant about learning her multiplication table. She's in the third grade over the summer. So uh, her papa helped her with her multiplication facts. And so when she came home right before school started, we helped her too, me and her mom. And so she's at school and they're starting on multiplication. So she's a step ahead. So she's using this time as practice. And, and so they had this gold club thing going on where the students, Students, once they mastered 112, they could be a part of the gold club. So she was the first one in the gold club. And so, uh, you know, when we do that uh, and we make sure that once they go to college and school, they're prepared for that. But a lot of times, sometimes we don't know ourselves. So just going back to your question, yeah, or your comment, yeah. Um, the critical thinking skills, because a lot of these, this information that they're getting memorizing and just kind of regurgitating it back to the test, you know, they're teaching to test now. They aren't really teaching them how to seek out information, how to make those informed decisions um, like we did. Well, I think I'm a general, maybe a, a few years ahead of y'all. So, uh, you know, we had to write a lot when I was in school. You had to write. We had to actually do research and write papers and things of that nature. And now they don't really have to do any of that in, in high school anymore. Yeah. So Take out they the don't know how files. to use research skills now. And tell you how to kind of entertainment, you know. But as far as like I get on my children all the time about stuff. Mom, how do you do such and such? You got this phone right here and you own it all the time. And you mean <laughs> to tell me you can't get on there to find out you know how to do something. But yeah. 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 When Pat when Pat came on, we spoke about uh in general, like the, the lack of support and of people that kind of frequent the establishment. And so can you speak about what you think uh the top contributing factors are to that? To the lack of involvement. I think um, people are afraid. Uh, I think people, when they don't, and then they don't understand. So I think a lot of people are comfortable as well. Um, so, you know, I think our village mentality and our community uh, thought process is kind of vanishing, is vanishing. And so a lot of people think, well, my child, and that's what matters, you know. You know, we are in this mind your business uh, society. And so people think that, you know, well, that don't concern me. So I ain't even worried about it. I'm minding my business. Not realizing that uh, our business is everybody's business. We got to look out for one another. We got to be, become that village uh, as well. And so I find, I find that a lot. I find that uh, people think that their child is straight or they're straight 
So, you know, I don't need to know none of that. <laughs> what, 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 what good is that going to do me? You know, I'm trying to get this money. I'm trying to get this bag. I ain't got time. Da, da, da. You know, so uh, the I think it's the, the apathy too. You know, people just don't care uh, mm -hmm. as far as uh, the village is, is concerned and the community is concerned. People just don't care. But we say we do, but our actions speak differently. You know, we get, I like to call it the recycle. We had a recycle rage and a recycle anger. When something happens, we all in arms, we all upset, but then, you know, all that dissipates and we, we go back to our daily day to day. So uh, apathy is, is, is really uh, the major component that I see uh, in our community. So yeah. what, what would you and, say um, to, I think to someone? When I, when I was, I was going to say, what, what would you say to someone that, that's in a position, the, the people that you mentioned before, like people that's chasing the bag, the people that are comfortable, like what piece of advice would you give them to learn more about, you know, what it is that you guys are offering, their heritage, where they come from, so on and so forth? So that's one of the things that I, I really tried to um, speak on with Aisha Academy because it's more than um, the quote academics. What I share Academy is the total person. So when we have Saturday school or we have any type of event, we like to start it off. I see Sister Mila uh, Renee on, she is the uh, Ministress of Health and Wellness for the Black Liberation Movement. And she has a great YouTube channel as well. She's uh, uh, a very, uh, great spokesperson for health and wellness. But anyway, she comes on and she uh, spends time with our children. I call them scholars. With our scholars, uh, we do some type of movement. We do, do meditation. The last session, we talked about deep breathing and how important that is to breathe properly. Uh, so we are just talking about, you know, math, science, language, arts, these things. We're talking about how do you treat your fellow brother and sister? You need to have respect for your elders. You need to know how to talk to people. You know, you need to say, look, people, look at people when you speak to them. Uh, every time we have an assignment, when we meet physically, have our scholars present. We work on our public skills, public speaking skills, things of that nature. So. People need to come in and they need to see, you know, that we aren't just teaching math, science, like I said, the academics, we're teaching how to be a total person. How do you interact in this society? How do you think about who you are? Uh, one of the ancestors we have on the wall here is Dr. Francis Chris Wilson. And one of her most famous quotes is, I won't rest until I teach my children to love themselves as themselves. And that's something that I'm starting to stand on more and more because when you love yourself, you're going to love your brother and you're going to love your sister because they look like you, right? And so when you love yourself, you're going to treat yourself with respect. You're going to do the things to make yourself a better person. And that in turn is going to make your community better, right? And so uh, I try to display that in everything I do uh, in what I post. 
in how I work with the children and how I interact with other people. So those people who, you know, might pause, who might say, well, you know, my children are straight. I'm be like, okay, your children might be straight, but what about that child is not? So a lot of times the child is not affects the child that is straight, right? Because they have something that that child is not straight wants or needs. And so that can cause that rift in the community. And a lot of times that's what we see in our communities, in our, in our hoods, is the child is not straight affecting the entire community. There's that proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. But then there's a second part of it that says, if the child does not feel the warmth of the village, he'll burn it down. And so we got to remember all these proverbs. I love what Brother Patrick said when I was talking about, yeah, you know, we have Kinsey say her affirmations. He was like, affirmations? Those are just proverbs. Those are proverbs that, that they have given this cute name to, affirmations. No, no, those are just proverbs that we grew up and we learned uh, when we were growing up, that our parents instilled in us, that we letting somebody else remix and talk about their affirmations. Now, that's why our logo has the Sankofa bird on it, which means go back and fetch it. So we have to remember what we already know. And mm. a lot of us have that in us. We just have, it's been suppressed. It's been suppressed. And so we got to bring it back out. Yeah. So um, I know we, we've covered Oasis and we talk, we're starting to talk about Ashe Academy at this point. Um, so I have a twofold question for you. Um, number one, you guys are now there in the heart of cold water, all right, where you're in a, a town where um, there's no high school now. So you have kids up to sixth grade there. So it has and transitioning from Senatobia to Coldwater. I know you mentioned like the, I guess the distance that the kids have to come to the location, but has that made it more difficult or um, what would you think? What do you think about, I know you guys started in COVID. Do you think it's made it more difficult? The fact that there's not a high school there or is it better to just focus on the smaller kids? Yeah, uh, I think it, it really hadn't affected us much with the school closing. Uh, I think it's an opportunity, though, uh, for us to reach out and get uh, more involved in the community. I know one thing I've been doing and I've said I'm going to do is go out and start knocking on doors and telling people what we're here at the center. Um, so part of that is because I have been out in the in there but but we do have uh children that come in the elementary age we we never did get a lot of high school students coming in uh but that's okay because I, I very strongly feel that the younger children are are who i want that i want to focus on because of the foundation setting uh and and uh so we do the culturally relevant tuesdays because we were coming up here on tuesdays and thursdays anyway and then when everything started happening with crt and all that movement uh i was like okay we can do on because that's what we say anyway so many people say well we need to be teaching our own children anyway but they just saying it because at the end of the day when you actually had a programs you got to damn near beg people to come and so you know that's why i was like okay i'm gonna name it 
Culturally Relevant Tuesday, CRT, a play on words, because come here, of course, we'll help you with your homework, but we're going to do some cultural activities and some cultural learning, too. Uh, last week, you know, because um, I, I spend like 75% of my time reading, studying, writing, because one thing, and I, I always refer to my good brothers because they teach me so much iron sharp is iron, right? One thing Brother Patrick told me is you always want to be effective. You want to be clear. You want to be effective in everything you do. And so that when I'm thinking about what we're going to do, what programs we're going to offer, always want to be effective. And so I was like, okay, right now what's going on? You see in Halloween stuff everywhere, right? So I was like, okay, I'm going to get one of these pumpkins and I'm going to do some research. So started researching pumpkins and it's, relevance to African people, to black people. And so we had a whole lesson last week about the pumpkin and how our people used to use the pumpkin because it's a really hardy fruit, squash, gourd. And so our, our ancestors used it because it sustained us, right? And so uh, then, of course, like always, this, there was a stigmatism to uh, stigmatism became, became attached to it because we were eating it just like watermelon, right? <laughs> and chicken, things of that nature. So then we kind of put it behind and grabbed the sweet potato and started using the sweet potato more. But anyway, now the pumpkin is circling back, especially pumpkin seeds because they're very rich in nutrients, needed nutrients. Listen on the pumpkin, you know, so many of us associated with Halloween but really, the pumpkin is really uh, an amazing food, and this is why. And so the children really gravitated toward that, and then we talked about the pumpkin seeds and you know, cleaning out the pumpkin, and, and I let them taste pumpkin seeds, and they had never tasted them before. And they were like, oh, okay, these are good. So next week, we're going to clean out this pumpkin, and we're going to take the seeds, and we're going to roast them, and we're going to create some type of dish with the pumpkin because it's relevant to us as African people. So those are the lessons that I want us to know. You yeah. know, who are these people on the wall? We got Ida B. Wells up here. There was 40, she was 45 minutes here from here. And so a lot of our people don't even know that, right? We got Mega Evers on the wall. We got Skip, he was another Marshall County person that people don't know about, you know? And so as I learn and I study and I really uh, delve into Mississippi people, it excites me because there's so much negativity and stigmatism attached to the state of Mississippi, right? And so yeah. I'm like, okay, so a lot of it is merited, okay? Cause we know that there's a thick cloak of racism in the state. But when you understand that so many great people came from the state, it changes your way of thinking. And then when you understand the true history of Mississippi and the contributions that it has made to the development of this country and the world, it really changes your thinking. I was reading a book called Black Fortunes. And in that book, he was talking about Robert Church. And Robert Church made his home in Memphis. And actually, he was the one that created uh, Bill Street, Robert Church. But his mother was an enslaved person from Natchez, from Natchez, Mississippi. 
And at one point, Natchez produced more millionaires per capita than place in the world because of cotton. And so you learn all these things. And then in this book, I'm reading about Black Wall Street and the Greenwood District. And it's named the Greenwood District because most of the first residents came from Greenwood, Mississippi. And so, so you start putting all these things together and learning all these facts and you become amazed at what the state of Mississippi has produced. And so I want our children to understand that and to know that and to know uh, our history, as uh, John Henry Clark said, did not start with slavery. It started way before that. And once they know that, then they are inspired, encouraged to do what it is that they need to do to create a reality that's conducive to their survival. And so that, that is what drives me. Yeah, and before um before I turn over to you, Jake, I'm not gonna like to the second part of my question. Pretty much, I covered it on the second part of that. But I was um just gonna follow up to say that some of the stuff that Pat came on and said about how Mississippi on the move focuses on the predominantly black communities. I was just kind of trying to tie that back into uh, what you guys are doing um, with the uh, Ashe Academy there in Coldwater. I know that again, I mentioned that the school closing. So, and you mentioned that it's an opportunity with the school close. So that's kind of what I was trying to circle back around to with, you know, you guys being in a predominantly black town. Yeah. <clears throat> and just for, um, okay. I know we, uh, we're, we're experiencing a little bit uh, of a lag uh, somewhere. So um, y'all just bear with us. Um, but you, you mentioned uh, uh, one of the ancestors, uh, Francis uh, Chris Wilson, and uh, I know in one of the notes that you sent us, you were talking about how she advocated, you know, for basically teaching uh, our, narr our narrative from our viewpoint. And I just wanted to, you know, wanted you to elaborate on that a little bit more, you know, like, and what that truly means uh, to, to share our story, you know, from, you know, from how we see it. Can you say it again? I'm sorry because you kind of went out. Oh, I was talking about elaborating. An example of a narrative of our story. Well, just yeah, speaking more on you know her advocating uh, for you know for us to to tell our story from our viewpoint. Just kind of elaborate on what that truly means. Okay, so one of one of the. Uh, I'm working on a few projects. And one of my projects is um, like integration, but if it was true integration, because I think a lot of us have a misunderstanding of that. And I did too, until I started really studying. I was reading about Brown versus Board of Education. I was reading about uh, the Clarks and the Dahl test when it came to uh, desegregation. So I was saying, you know, we didn't really integrate. We kind of assimilated into their culture, to their schools. But when I really understood the meaning of desegregating, we did desegregate because, of course, we segregated. And when we desegregated, all they had to do was put us in a white space. They didn't have to teach us anything. We didn't have to. They didn't. We didn't require that. Okay, we're gonna come to y'all school. Y'all gonna have to teach us some of our history, right? So. None of those 
excuse me, demands were made and of course they weren't met. And so I work on a project and I said, now, if we were truly integrated, when we learn about Napoleon Bonaparte, we will learn about Toussaint Louverture who ran Bonaparte out of Haiti, right? If we were truly integrated, when we learn about Benjamin Franklin, we will learn about Benjamin Banneker. And so when you only let a history and not the other contribution to that, you know, Benjamin Banneker, he basically uh, created the first almanac. He did the uh, clocks. He, you know, all the all this science. He was a mathematician. He was a scientist as well. And most of us learn of him when we grown. We don't learn about him in school. We don't learn about, uh, we, you know, we, they might mention Phyllis Wheatley, but we mostly going to learn about the Brontes, you know, the Jane Austen, the white authors. We're not going to learn about the black authors of that era. So the the story for me is we had great black people. We had great uh, minds in our story. Where are they in the school system? Where are they in the curriculum? You know, that's why when everybody was talking about CRT at one point, I'm like, well, shoot, they didn't really teach our story anyway. <laughs> you know, you know, during Black History Month, they bring out the people that the surgeon, you know, the uh, Harriet Tubman, Martin Luther King, the usual people. And even when they would tell the stories of these people, they wouldn't give us the liberating aspect. They wouldn't give us the true Harriet Tubman. They would give us the sanitizer version of it. So when Dr. Franz Crest, when I speak about that, I'm speaking about being frank and being honest and telling our story, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so that we can make the decision of how we're going to interpret that and act on it, not let somebody else tell us how we're going to do it, right? So, yeah. um, you know, I, I brought some books with me, and the ISIS Papers was one of the books that I brought with me, because when you go on YouTube and you listen to Dr. Francis Chris Wilson, she's so matter-of-fact, and she's so frank in what she says, and she's so unapologetic. If anybody who's watching it, even you all, you should YouTube when she was on Bill Donahue back in the 70s. And she did not let them people take her off her square, off her train of thought, any of that. And so it takes real courage and it takes uh it takes a really a commitment to your people to do that. Because I'm telling you that she she was a uh, matter of fact. And everything that she said in wrote. Yeah, just just a, a quick quick note on that. Um, I actually, you know, uh, went down a little little rabbit hole uh, when I was uh, researching and uh, saw that all the blowback and criticism that she received for, you know, her views on homosexuality, you know, as it related to, uh, you know, black boys and you know where it comes from. So it was just a, it was it was very you know uh, enlightening uh for me uh to 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 see that and to know that she was a you know well-known psychiatrist so with with your uh position right and, and that's um, another thing bro that, you know, okay. uh, it's the lag i think 
I was going to ask though, with your with your position, your current position, like within the community, and yeah. you know, the school closing and all other things going on. Do you think uh, there's an opportunity to partner with the schools, being that a lot of them come to see you anyway? And how small our community is, or is that something that's just too far fetched? So that that's been an ongoing struggle, <laughs> uh, no. Um, so a lot of it, I think, is because um, it's it's just a the when you when, when people find out what you're doing and you're unapologetically black, that's gonna be a problem. I mean, I don't care if it's in the community, with the school system, or what. And so, you know, because uh, I, I actually some years ago I I did try to work with Coldwater Elementary School as far as a reading program. And I had everything written out, had the whole plan drawn up and they and they bagged out. <laughs> and so, you know, um, I am not going to compromise what we do because we already been compromised too much. So that's one reason why we ask for donations and, and not uh, grant money because we want to be unapologetic, we want to move at where how we want to move. We don't want mm -hmm. anyone telling us how to move and who we can offer services to. Because, hey, if that was the case, then we would have just created some other type of nonprofit and would have been doing a lot of this busy work I see other organizations do, not really reaching the people who need it the most. Uh, our children need it the most. Our children, actually are the most creative but in this system that we live in it's all suppressed i find it is suppressed because when they come through that door um we allow them the freedom to be who they are and so once you do that you can see that creativity and that genius flourish um so uh you know we do have boundaries of course but at the end of the day you can look at it a child and you can see where they are and what they need and you can nurture that you can help them process it and then going back to our culture we allow those students that are older to help teach the younger students and it's a two it's a win-win because your older students love being part of the process and your younger children are always going to be more accepted to their peers or to you know their siblings or someone older than them teaching them as opposed to me getting up here lecturing all the time. So, uh, you know, I, I always try. I always keep my end communication line open for anybody that's willing to work with us. But when I, you know, I'm very clear about our attention and about who we want to reach. And so uh, sometimes, a lot of times, most of the time, that is where things fall apart. I understand. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Crystal, in your opinion, what what's at risk if we are not making um, safe, liberating spaces where we're teaching our own? Oh, um, uh, we can see it in society. Um, our children, and even us as adults 
we are taking on the personality, I think, of the people. You know, I'm going to use this as an example. You know, when you used to like, go in on the grocery store, any kind of store, and you would hear this child cutting up. I mean, just cutting up. And you'd be like, oh, I know that's, I know that's them. You know, I know that's a white child. But now, it could be anybody. It could be our children that's doing that. And so, uh, and, and just how we are acting, no morals. It was certain things that you just didn't do or say around grown folks. Now, I don't even want to sit outside in, in Northwest, you know, it's, it's on campus and, and just eat around a group of young people because anything will come out of the mouth. And so, um, and so that more than even adults, us not having any boundaries. I always talk about aging gracefully. And that's one of my frustrations because I have trouble finding women my age that wants to help teach the younger generation, that wants to be role models for the younger generation because they want to be out there doing what they're doing. And so, uh, you know, it is is it's causing problems on how we treat one another, uh, the lack of respect that we're having for ourselves individually and then for each other as a community because we speak or this end uh talking to about each other. And so, so uh if our children are growing up seeing a lack of respect, what is that going to do? Um, and especially if we don't have anything built for them to fall into. So if we don't have a system where we're creating jobs for our children, uh, then what, I mean, what are we doing? Are they really going to survive? So they don't want to deal with us no more because of how we're going to act like them. I mean, seriously. And so um, I'm learning that we talk a lot about, okay, we need to start healing, you know, because first thing people say when you when they see this type of behavior, oh, we, we got so many problems, we need healing, we need to work on ourselves, yada, yada. Well, where are we going to do that? Seriously, where are we going to do that at? Um, if we don't control the space, if we don't have the spaces to do that, then... I mean, seriously, how is it going to happen? And so when I talk about safe, liberated spaces in the center being one of them, that's what I'm talking about. So when your children come in here to learn, or even if we have a program, it's a safe space. We don't have to worry about uh, meeting somebody else's standards of how we do it. We do it on our own. We create our own standards of how we're going to do it. I tell people all the time, even when we started talking about Ashay Academy, I said, okay, one thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to take the uh, institution that we're used to out of our psyche. Let's not even worry about that because our school, it might have to be on the Saturday. It might have to be on the Sunday afternoon. It may have to be at a park or at a museum. Stop thinking about the, well, you know what's already out there. We create our own standards. We create our own curriculum. We create our own set of rules. And so when we mm -hmm. talk about liberated spaces, that's what we do that in. 
we don't have to worry about, okay, well, if I want to use the library, public libraries in Atobia, they're going to ask, you're going to have to fill out an application. And you're going to have to tell them exactly what you're going to do and who your audience is going to be and all those things. So really, can you really do that in that space? Well, when you come here to the Culture Center, okay, we having a Black event. Oh, okay, well, come on. <laughs> you know, so that's what I mean, you know, uh, when I say safe, liberated spaces, safe spaces for real, for us, for us specifically, for us only. So, yeah, um, ain't no way we can talk about healing uh, and then we still go into their institutions and getting that same uh, poison. Yeah. No way. Yep. Um. Uh, just kind of pushing the conversation forward. I know you mentioned donations. Uh, you mentioned some of the people that's coming through the door. Uh, but just, I guess, just kind of talk about the state of uh, the people that you currently have, um, kids, adults, um, and people who are, con you know, making contributions like right now uh, to uh, the culture center. Like, what, what does that look like? Is it a role of 30, 40 people, or, and, and what would you like to see it grow to? So right now, because I'm always thinking about how to be effective and how to be, reach more people. And so when we first started out with IC Academy, we were actually meeting physically here at the uh, center and um, uh, participation fell off. And so what I do now is a virtual Saturday school. We do a Saturday school and we've been doing it twice a month, the second and the last Saturdays of each month. But in November and December, we're going to only meet once uh, so that I can reach more people. And so the virtual aspect is great. Um, we have children from New Jersey. We have children from Pennsylvania, across the country. And, um, and so the Tuesdays here, in uh, I would love to reach more children in cold water in this community. And I know that, you know, that's partly on me to get out there and do that work. Um, I would like more people involved in the process, more volunteers, adults involved as well. Uh, it's hard to um, find people to be consistent. So I know we are attracted to numbers. So, you know, some people come and they might see four or five children. Hey, that's not big enough. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's big enough, you know, because really those four or five children are going to take what they learn and teach other children. Because I'm telling you, when my granddaughter learns something, everybody in her classroom is probably going to <laughs> learn it too. Um, you know, she's going to take books to school. She's going to expose other children. You might not see 50 children at the culture center. It does not mean not not being impacted by what we're doing. So um, getting more people across the board involved in what we're doing. And, and really that understanding that I talked about earlier, that what we do impacts the entire community. So just because you don't live in that not mean you can't donate $10 a month what we're doing uh we have a campaign where we're asking people to just commit ten dollars a month and that will you know 
entitle you to receive our monthly newsletter, uh, discounts when we offer special uh, programs, uh, or I, uh, we publish a calendar every year. So if you are a $10 a month committed donator, we offer that calendar at a discounted price, things of that nature. And you always gonna know what's going on with our children and what we're doing. So uh, investing, I don't even like to say donation. I'm like invest, you need to make an investment in us as a people because the children are the future and we are the present. So we had to be involved with them at this stage and make sure that they're getting what they need so that they can truly be the future. You know, think about, uh, I was talking to uh, one of my coworkers and we were talking about some of the mindset of the youth now. We're thinking, okay, this is going, these are the people that are going to be taking care of us. And, you know, sometimes that's a scary thought when you think about it, especially when you work with young adults like we do. It's like, okay, these are going to be the people that are going to be taking care of us. Okay, we got work to do uh, as, as us. You know, I want our children to be equipped to be able to take care of us. And take us because so fast. Technology is taking us so fast now. You know, that's the curse with this technology. We seeing it a little bit <laughs> tonight, you know, with some of the glitches, but you know, there's a blessing and a curse because uh, we don't want these computers thinking for us, right? We want us to think for us. And, um, you know, uh, just thinking about our dependency on it and how it's taking out the human aspect of, of what we're doing. I was talking with some uh, people last week and I was like, you know, our generation, when we call, we want to talk to a person. If we call customer service, we want to talk to a human. We don't want to talk to the automated. We don't want to deal with the automated version of it. But shoot, my children would rather deal with the automated version. They don't <laughs> want to talk to people. And yeah. so, you know, we, we got to get back the uh, human aspect of who we are. You know, not, all, not only a human, yeah. I want to talk I, to I love conversation. I love talking to people. I don't, and I don't really. <laughs> right, right. I talk to an English speaking human, right? <laughs> right. So, yeah. I mean, our children, they rather sit there and press the numbers. <laughs> yeah. So, um, for clarity, yeah. I um, I posted yeah. the, uh, the comment cash app tag earlier. And um, the cash up tag is okay. dollar or money sign oasis, and that's a lowercase a on the mm -hmm. end. Yeah. Right, lowercase l. Right. And so, if you pull up the cash app, because people were like confused when uh with with you know why is it in I say I'm like because um, oasis is the organization. I say it's the institution, but I did try to change the picture on there to kind of have I say and Oasis on there so people won't be so confused when they go to the Cash App because I know it is confusing. But yeah, Oasis is the organization. I say Academy is the institution. And I just wanted to share a quote because I thought about uh, what your last question said about us teaching our own children. And H. Rat Brown said, that anything you don't control can be used as a weapon against you. And so mm -hmm. that's why it's so important that we control our education because right now 
is being used as a weapon against us because we they best and our brightest and they we often work against ourselves it's it's uh something that i think about all the time in my position as a librarian you know i really work hard not to take ownership of that it's like okay it, the library has it because i i don't like to say we have it when i'm referring to their stuff now if i'm in the culture center it's a whole different story you know this is ours so uh you know i i i, I, I um and working to liberate myself so that i will be here this will be what i do for real by 24 7 is where i really want my time spent so earlier you mentioned uh yeah you know just getting it's out to, to know what your passion and purpose is Yeah, I was gonna say earlier you you mentioned you know getting out and doing more outreach to kind of expand and and let more people know about what you have going on. Is that uh, currently when you promote? Is it more more so boots on ground and door to door, word of mouth, or do you guys run social media pages as well? Oh. Uh, both is and that's been really i'm i'm like i'm not really social media driven you know and i know that's where people are and so i do we do have the facebook instagram youtube twitter all those and i'm like dang i can hardly navigate facebook i mean how can i navigate all these social media pages and do the work on the ground and do the reading and do the studying and work and take care of the family so it's like a juggle uh that goes on so sometimes i'm really into the social media part of it and then sometimes i'm really into talking to people about it but really to be more the most effective you really have to get out there and talk to people just in my, my uh experience because people can tell you anything on social media you know i've had do the events and people you have 50 people talking about they gonna come i'm coming i'm coming and so you planning for 50 people and they here and it's three so you know i'm learning have learned that you know the best way to reach people is really to face conversations with people because when you're talking to a person and you're telling them what you're going to do you can read the body language you in me people um be straight up with you talking to a face face be like hey we having this waist beads and hair wrap event you gonna come and they'll be like you know they'll just say well i don't know if i can make that da, da, as opposed to going on social media oh yeah i'm gonna be there i'm gonna be there you know so it's, it's easier to tell people what you're gonna do or it's easier to post something on facebook than it is when you're having that face-to-face -face conversation with you like putting them right there hey you need to come out to this you need to support this and people will be are, are you know more prone to be straight up with you when you had those conversations so yeah um just getting out i know uh right we had the event um right when school was out during fall break i went out and i was like i'm gonna walk around home i just passed these slide out of people and so just so many people don't even know what we do 
you know mm -hmm. they just remember it as being a church so a lot of people still associate the building with as being a church and even though we had signage out there and everything people still associate with the church so just getting out explaining to people no it's a culture center and now we had a retail space with the Sankova Soul Shop so you can come and check out some of the books we have for children we have a library we have wi-fi you just come in here and hang out if you want to you know just enjoy the atmosphere and the setting so uh yeah a lot of it is word of mouth for sure gotcha. yeah um <clears throat> Let me see where we are. So um, you mentioned the culturally uh, relevant Tuesdays and the Saturday school. Um, and then I saw that the motto was unlearning to remember teaching to nation build. Um, and, and that's practically, you know, the guiding principle um, for both of those programs. So I'm just going to, you know, ask, can you share a little bit about the significance behind, um, you know, their motto? Uh, that you that you use. So um, I know most people are familiar with Professor James Small. He came. He's one of our griots, and he has a wealth of experience and knowledge. And he came to one of our Building Power Summits. I think it was the second Building Power Summit we had here in Coldwater. And he was talking, and he said, "You know, we're moving so fast." Society is taking us so fast, especially now with technology, that we had to slow down and remember what we already know. And so I find myself personally doing that sometimes when I'm in the kitchen and I'm cooking and I'm, I'm so we so used to, you know, this instant stuff. And it's like, wait a minute, I know how to make a pot of greens. I know how to. I don't have to buy the frozen ones. I can just go get some and make them. And so a lot of times we have to go back to our foundation, go back and study people who have already done this. And as a teacher, as an educator, as a person that wants to be effective in reaching our children, I do that a lot. Um, I go back and I study our ancestors, our elders who were doing this Ashay Academy is not the first black school. We had ancestors who had to create their own schools because we weren't allowed to learn in their institutions, right? And so I brought some books with me just so I could remind myself some of the people that I go back and get from. You know, remember what we already know. There's Mary McLeod Bethune, right? We all know who she is. Most of us know who she is. She has an institution in Daytona Beach, Florida, right? Uh, then there's Nanny Helen, Helen Burroughs. She was an educator um, who started her own school in Washington, North Carolina. There is, is Fanny Coppin, Copin, however you want to say it. She was one of the people who started Cheney. Institute, the oldest HBCU, and then there's Cotton State, also is named for her. Uh, so many, um, Marva Collins, who started her own school in Chicago, 
there's uh, Anna Julia Cooper. So I go back and I look at these women and I study their work and I look at their curriculum. And I remember I was reading uh, and did a whole book talk on Fanny Jackson Coppin. She uh, was a principal and she was a great math teacher. And she was determined to teach our children and she was determined to dispel the myth that black people could not learn. And the curriculum, you can go back and you can look at the book, Reminiscence of School Life on Teaching. And there are examples of the curriculum that these great teachers had back in the early 1900s. And it was a very rigorous curriculum. And I was talking about how when you look at that and you read that and you study that and you look at what we're getting today, we're actually being dumbed down. <laughs> you know, we had the ability in elementary school to do some of the math problems that our children are doing in high school now. And so, and then you think about a lot of this teaching was done in one room classrooms where you had a variety of ages and stages and they were still teaching their children. I remember my mom, she went to a segregated school and she talked about the standards of learning, expectations that the teachers had for the students. All this because we were teaching our own children and we knew that we had to have something in us great so to be to survive right and so when i think about developing and writing the curriculum and teaching our students and remembering what we already know because we already have the quote black print uh that our ancestors left us it uh keeps me grounded encouraged and inspired and um so remember what we already know is just going back and reflecting and it's in, in, in really uh, meditating and taking into heart what we already have been left with. I brought some other books. I brought uh, The Miseducation of the Negro with me, which is a classic. And it's been said that a classic is a book that still has something to say. So mm -hmm. if you read the Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Wilson, you will see <laughs> that even though it was written in the early 1900s, it's still very, very relevant to this day. Uh, it's still a black print for us. I brought some books by Dr. Amos Wilson, who is a Mississippian. He was born in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. He was a psychologist as well, uh, who really understood the, uh, the dynamics of power and what it takes to gain power in this world. And so I study these people because their words are still relevant and they're relevant because we have not acted upon them. And so I look at it as part of my responsibility. Yeah, appreciate all so, yeah, that. So we, so we remember what we already know, already oh, got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, um, I think that's about, you know, all we had. Uh, just want to give you the floor uh, for any final final thoughts um, that you might have. 
And we'll go, Eric, if you can throw okay. up, throw up. Uh, um, the, well, I just want to say I appreciate y'all for letting me know. No, I was just going to have him put uh, some of the uh, flyers from the programs up while you're talking. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I was. I just want to thank y'all for having me on and letting me come on and talk about uh, the history of Ashe Academy, of Oasis Literacy Center, and the programs and why we do what we do and why what we do is needed and why we need support from the community. Um, so yeah, so that's Saturday school. As I said, we have our sessions virtual, uh, but they are very engaging. So our next session will be on the 28th. And we're actually having a brother from South Carolina come on and teach our children about circuitry. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And so that's one of the things, that's one of the blessings of social media uh, and, and, and all this is that I have connected with some really great people who have amazing skill sets, who share those skill sets with us. That's how I met Akil, Brother Akil. And he has actually written a few lessons for us, math lessons for us, um, for our Shea Academy. And so those people are appreciated. The CRT for us, we're here on Tuesdays and Thursdays from four to six. Uh, and right now we have a program, a Read Black With Me program going on. It's basically an after-school reading program. We meet virtually every Tuesday. Yeah. And so the children, the scholars, the younger children, we just finished reading The Secret Garden of George Washington Carver. And we learned a lot about this great ancestor. Um, uh, and one of the quotes that we shared from that book was when he traveled to Neosha, Missouri, he came across an elder and she told him that learn all you can and whatever you learn, bring it back and do for your people. And so George Washington Carver embodied that and we and the children were fully engaged in that book. Um, in this program, the Read Black With Me program, I'm finding it to be very effective because I've been watching the children's self-confidence and their self-esteem grow throughout the process. We started early September and I have uh, some children that log on from Pennsylvania and one week they weren't on and I emailed the mom and I said, hey, we missed y'all last week. And she was like, I don't we got the link and she said my my girls they were so upset because she homeschooled and she said that uh they were so upset because they really love this program they're extremely shy but coming on and and reading with you all has really helped them in their confidence and i've seen it even in my own home so the children the younger children come on and we read aloud uh, one thing that I've learned is that when you encourage your children to read to you and their interest in their self-confidence, and you can see if they're retaining the information, if they're pronouncing the words correctly, how they're sounding them out, things of that nature. So we read aloud, the younger group, we read aloud, and we're going to be reading a new book. Next week, we're starting a new book, Family Reunion, and um, it's just about how we get together as families and how we uh, celebrate being families. 
And I, I'm really excited about that because I think, you know, with COVID, that kind of dampened a lot of family reunions and family celebrations. And so we need to get back to that. So we're going to be starting that book. Older children, we're reading um, a chapter book, Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky. And I chose that one on purpose because it has a lot of African culture in it. It has a lot of African folklore in it. Um, a lot of us don't know the folklore and all this mythology that we learn about is really based on African uh, mythology and gods. And so we're learning about uh, John Henry in this book. We're learning about the concept of bottle trees, uh, how that was brought from Africa. That uh, we're learning about the Ma'afa. And so uh, we're learning about the indigenous symbols. So uh, Mr. Fulkenberg is one of them. Uh, and so uh, we're having fun uh, exploring our culture through uh, literacy. So, uh, if you can, you can come on with us, let me know if you're interested in the Read Black For Me program and we can get your children signed up. So, yeah, so that's what we have going on all under the umbrella of the Black Liberation Movement. And so, yeah, I'm excited about uh, all our programs. I'm excited about teaching our children and watching them off and grow into those uh, mature uh able bodies that we need for our survival in this world yes ma'am and again thank y'all for having me on i'm super excited sharing, i was sharing with everybody about it because um i think people misunderstand uh my passion and my mission and i want to want to be clear because we need all of us to make this happen absolutely well look we uh definitely appreciate you taking time and uh you know uh staying up with us and also supporting us as well um from week to week so um but nevertheless this has been episode uh 38 to be young gifted and black uh, with mama crystal denise so we look forward uh to everything that you got going on and uh We'll be here to support you uh, every step of the way. So, uh, with that being said, this has been Sticks and Stones. We came to this country. We were kings and queens, never porch monkeys. There was empires in Africa called Kush, Timbuktu, where every race came to get books to learn from black teachers who taught Greeks and Romans, Asian Arabs, and gave them gold. When gold was converted to money, it all changed. Money then became empowerment for Europeans. The Persian military invaded. They heard about the gold, the teachings, and everything sacred. Africa was almost robbed naked. Slavery was money, so they began making slave ships. Egypt was the place that Alexander the Great went. He wasn't shocked that the mountains were black faces. Shot up their nose to impose what basically still goes on today, you see. If the truth